What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, we talk pop culture on this podcast. However, you used to have a little podcast, The Mercy Rule, with friend, I, I don't know if he's friend of the pod, we'll just say friend of ours, Jeff Loudenschlager. Follows the podcast. Okay, I, I appreciate that. Shout out, Jeff. And you used to give your sports takes there, so I wanted to ask you, there's been a lot in the last 24 hours of, before our recording going on the NBA, in the NFL, in hockey, NHL. I don't think you care about hockey. Football is a ways off. Basketball just ended, and that seems to be where most of the, the stuff's going on. G- give me some of your hot takes. LeBron to LA, what do you think? Uh, I think it's exciting. Obviously, it's annoying that it has to be the Lakers, given that Lakers' exceptionalism is fucking grating and bandwagon laker fans come out of the woodwork at nauseum now but it was his best basketball situation because the sign trade to houston was pretty unrealistic mm. and while i wanted to see him in philly keep him in the east bolster that squad uh should be interesting because this is you know it's a lifestyle move joining up with some younger players unless they ship some of those out it's a new era for lebron it's uh, gonna be fun to watch i'm very excited about it celtics have a clear path other than maybe the sixers to the finals this year i don't want that 16 seeding just let the celtics dominate for a while but no it's fun because i think as long as they can stay healthy both teams the 76ers and the celtics will you know have a a good competition to get to the finals this year and the west is just going to be a bloodbath Uh, unbelievable who's going to be joining lebron what's your prediction for a supporting cast that's the thing spurs are under no obligation to sell him low Kawhi. well it's really up to the teams to offer go for the spurs something worth while on one hand if you're the lakers if lebron is okay to not go for it now which apparently is what he's communicated he wasn't coming on condition that they make a hair trigger move maybe you wait you don't need to do a nicks carmelo situation trade away most of the team to get the guy who wants to be there in a year anyway if you kept all the kids and then signed Kawhi a year from now obviously you're taking a chance with lebron's advanced age but that would seem pretty advantageous on the other hand the spurs really do need to get something because he's fucking gone so they should trade him but if not they're getting all these veterans i don't understand lance stevenson javel <laughs> mcgee coming to the team they also got rondo at the time of recording it's gonna be some fucking malcontents and then you got lavar ball in the mix gonna be interesting yeah he basically left cleveland and is like i'm gonna build the cavaliers of the west now space cadet city yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see. But yeah, if you want some more of our sports takes, follow Dave at Martin Swagger. He gives out all of his takes on Yankees baseball, which they stink. Best winning percentage in the MLB, dog. Winning percentage. Ugh. Just give me the wins. Give me the, the shirt. Lost column, bruh. <laughs> Why don't we move on, though? We have a lighter week, but in this, at the same time time it's actually a week full of big projects and big things that i think we were both mm-hmm. excited for in, in different ways let's start with the, maybe the thing we were least excited for so gorillas they're a band we, we reviewed their album from last year blanky on humans yep, humans was kind of middling i think i was a bit higher on it than you were you know i think back to that album i just remember one song charger really and i guess the vince staples track grace drones yeah. It was just overstuffed, ton of features, kind of on the nose, political message. I didn't really care for it, but yeah, like you said, there there were some moments on it for sure. But they recorded this new album, The Now Now, on tour. In a month. While they were performing Humans. Yeah, and, and they did all the actual studio recordings in a month. So that's interesting because it definitely feels much different than Humans. Yeah, and this is much different than almost any project Gorillaz has ever done just because they're a band that, you know, they have the whole cartoon persona, uh, but they really rely on features from other people to you know bring influence into their songs and kind of give the direction of each individual song this one is a, a much more cohesive sound than humans for sure and and probably some of their other albums but that's because there's only one song that features anybody other than damon alburn um which is mm-hmm. the 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 single um, with Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg and Jamie Principal song. But, uh, you know, the thing about this album, so I was, give it a listen. I think this is the sort of thing that is a very forgettable album uh, for two reasons. One, when you think about Gorillaz, you really do think of the features and the things that stand out. Like, uh, you know, their their most popular song um, of all time is... Feel Good Ink, De La Soul. Feel Good Ink, yeah, De La Soul. Come on, dog. I know, the heat is getting to me. It's like I'm sweating through my clothes right now. Um, So yeah, you think, but you think about that and you think about De La Soul coming in on that album and just the way that they take it over. Or even if, like when we were talking Mm -hmm. about humans, you think about Grace Jones. This is just kind of like everything drifts together, feels cohesive, but nothing really stands out. And I think for that reason, I'll probably won't come back to this. But was there anything that stood out to you on this? No, I kind of echoing what you're 
what you're saying. I just thought it was kind of kind of sleepy and mm-hmm. honestly kind of dull. I didn't think Damon Auburn's singing. His singing's never that great. Like he's not like a standout vocalist. But on this album in particular, I found it really, I don't know, just really dreary and forgettable. And honestly, like I liked uh, what was it, Humility, yeah. the like the one of the lead singles. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's fun. That's that's like a really summery poolside song you know that, that's, that's kind of like the best you could do with this kind of intent these kind of intentions then the other single that reached alongside lake zurich like <laughs> i guess the reason i like that is because there were no vocals <laughs> and it was just kind of a spacey instrumental i don't i didn't find there was much here that like like you said stands out that's worth remembering while it's definitely such a turn from humans i i don't find it any more memorable i actually agreed the other song i wrote down was lake zurich as well um i find it funny that we've reviewed Two bands that uh, I, I guess are considered old heads at this point, you know, Nine Inch Nails a week or, or two ago, and then this, and the two songs that stand out to us are songs where their lead singer isn't really singing on them. So yeah. I, I don't know what that says about the bands in general. Maybe just the direction of the head of the, the band is moving more towards an instrumental. Yeah, this is a forgettable album. We don't really need to talk about it more. Why don't we move on to Florence and the Machine, though? So this is Florence Welch's fourth studio album in the last nine ten years since her debut album lungs which you know she broke out with shake it out on that album she followed it up with ceremonials in 2011 and then how big how how blue how beautiful in 2016 there was a hiatus there for about five years between ceremonials and how big how blue how beautiful this her new album highest hope i think is her most intimate one and this is a a singer who I think relies heavily on talking about some really intimate topics for herself. You know, you think about her lead single hunger uh, for this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, talks about mental health issues, um, talks about uh, eating disorder and just how we all have our own things we're struggling with. But is this a good Florence of the machine album? Mm, it, it It's weird. Yeah. Having li- just re re listened to, all of it and all of her the discography in full leading up to uh highest hope um because i you know i hear a lot of songs before but I never really listened to anything in full um it's really interesting watching like the the bell curve for florence and the machine as an act because i feel like i like each record slightly less hmm. like and I, not just not necessarily that it's bad it's just that it, as it's changing uh sonically i'm just liking it less like lungs is really Lungs is especially the deluxe edition of Lungs is a really long record, like hour twenty minutes. But a lot of those like really charismatic up tempo songs just really fit her. Like she's like a really big voice. She's this charismatic performer. And then Ceremonials was more or less like Lungs, a little different. But then you know uh, instrumentally it really changed with how big, how blue, how beautiful. And then I feel like with this record, Highest Hope, again it's just I, I there's just not as many like big moments to me yeah. that like really pop. Mm-hmm. That's why like. I really gravitated to Hunger, I think, which is the second single from the record, just because, like, the chorus is really loud, you know? And there are moments I still like that. Like, I think, like, on Grace, there's, like, that echoey chorus um, moment, which I thought stood out, but I don't know. I just think the sonics kind of just distract me, and I couldn't really get into this. How did you feel about it? I I really like this album. I mean... We talked about one of Florence's singles. Uh, it might have been Big God the other day or you know, a couple weeks back. Check it out on SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. And uh, we said that pretty much her voice is just uh, you know, very affecting. It's incredibly charismatic, mm-hmm. and it just grabs you. It's one of the few like female vocals that really sticks out to you. you know, I, I think about her, Adele, you know, like, like the Alabama Shakes, um, yeah, pe- Lady Gaga, yeah, Lady Gaga, people like that that you just hear it and you know, um, and I, I think you know you talk about the bell curve of her career. It's kind of like the the opposite for each song, you know that that she usually does because usually mm. starts very simple, very sparse, and it really builds up to something big. And I found it very interesting that the last song of this album was called No Choir because it it's the only song I can really remember of hers that doesn't involve backing vocals or some chorus in some way and i think she's really trying to find her footing as she moves from being this young artist into a more mature artist who has gone through different experiences and she's in a much better place in her life she's talked openly about having to quit drinking having to quit taking drugs and she talks about that a lot in this album as well like memories of that but i think she's no choir kind of hits it on the head like how do i continue to write interesting things when 
uh, you know, happiness, the thing I'm striving for is really not that interesting. It's it's peace. It's calm. It's so I think she's trying to find herself, but I think she has a lot of really, really great moments. Um, a song that I really liked, uh, Big God is Great, but 100 Years really stood out to me as one of my favorites. Another one that hits for me and sometimes doesn't hit for me is Sky Full of Song, um, which mm-hmm. I think tries to have a, a really uh, anthemic kind of sound, but I don't know if it totally gets there. It worked for me better within the flow of the album than it did as a single beforehand. Yeah. So I think there's moments on this. Where do you see Florence in kind of like just the hierarchy of, of artists right now? I guess especially rock artists. Well, and that's the thing too. Like the fact that she's like gripping with her lyrical content and the future right. of her songwriting is almost besides the point because it doesn't freaking matter at all. Like she's one of the, uh, the bands, like a eight, what AP span now, like one of the, one of the biggest, most popular. I mean, what which, which genre would you call this? Like I call it uh, alternative like rock. Alternative rock. Yeah. Like I almost wanted to say prog rock. Could That's be. not really right, yeah. but blankly, any kind of rock band of the past fifteen years, it's one of the most popular ones out there. And in terms of female vocalists, she's the biggest thing going in rock music, and they are one of the few acts that can actually be a festival draw we talked about the lack of female headliners at music festivals mm-hmm. in the past check that out so i got a contest nostalgia pod so i think florence and the machine is frankly an institution but you know the way rock music works is they really have their ebbs and their flows any band where they they, sh- they have an album roll out they go on tour and they go away for a few years and they come back you know it's not like hip-hop which we'll get to where you're always present yeah. because of the way the rock scene works i think florence the machine yeah like i said it's an institution the band's doing just fine and i think it's a great sign that she's actually just you know thinking about her her lyrics because that'll go a long way with the people that really care to kind of go back to your point about not really mattering think about all of those albums that you listen to i mean how many of those songs do people really know? I mean, there's maybe like eight to ten Florence songs people know. And that's the thing is right. as long as she can get one or two off each album that are going to be anthem filling that she can go and just crush vocally, um, you know, dance around on stage with her bright red hair, flowy dresses with the light behind her <laughs> making her look like a goddess. Like she's she doesn't have anything to worry about, I don't think. It's interesting, too, because I feel like she's just kind of a like a vibe at this point. Like people see her or especially, I think, female fans of rock and they kind of just like the persona she gives off which is like this like free spirit like ultra feminist vibe which i think is really needed in Mm -hmm. that sphere right now so it's like a better land already yeah exactly and it's actually interesting because this album um she used lana del rey's producer to make it Mm -hmm. sound more stripped down and more sparse so um i think she's trying to you know explore what what's next for her and find her groove while also trying to maintain that that image and it's it's a tough Tough sell, but I think she she did pretty well in this album. So I'll give her give her like a solid seven, maybe maybe a six and a half around there. Yeah, I, I thought the listen was good. I think it's also her shortest record, so that goes a long way. We'll get to a long record in just a second. But while I liked like the way the music was made in the earlier days, I think the lyric content's still fine. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's not that like that. I got bored or anything. The way I was bored with Gorillas. <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a It'll it'll be a record people come back to, I think, in terms of rock records that we've had so far this year. You know, it's one of the most notable ones already. Yeah, I, I imagine when you think about rock records, like what's Casey Musgraves, if you count Casey Musgraves as like country rock, but then like I can't really think of any female artists that are up there. Mm. Courtney Barnett released an album that was pretty good. Right. Snail Mail, which we still haven't uh, talked about. Snail Mail. <laughs> Soccer Mommy. Like yeah. there's not a lot. <laughs> and then that what uh i can't say her name Mis- mitski or something like that right yeah. yes so i mean we'll, we'll get to all those at some point probably a catch-up pod in the future should get sparse in the summer we'll get to it then yeah. florence and the machine gonna be listening to that for quite a while though something that it took me quite a while to listen to scorpion <laughs> i was kind of surprised to see this was drake's on- only his fifth proper studio album technically i was like i feel like he's dropped so many other projects over 10 years right it's kind of a lot also kind of crazy that Florence the machine has been around for nine years and drake 10 lungs is 09 and so is uh, so far gone yeah they're, they're about the same same age so drake if you want to go back and hear kind of the lead up to this album like the precursors to this the the drama around it you can go back and listen to our pod from about a month ago Pusha t talked about his album and 
the drama surrounding that. I mean, to just to sum it up, I guess, Pusha dropped a song that came at Drake. Drake wrote a response. Pusha came way over the top. Basically, was like, you know, you're hiding a child. You have all, the, all this dirt that people don't know about and that I'm bringing to light. Posted the picture of him, uh, Drake in the blackface. And Drake kind of had to take the L. Uh, on that one he wasn't able to he didn't he didn't come back at the request of jay prince yeah, jay prince and then we're all waiting scorpion to see what's coming on first of all is do we know why he named the scorpion is that just a in relation to his like astrological sign scorpio that's exactly what it is <laughs> october's very own yeah okay <laughs> okay well i mean i'm gonna preface this by saying i'm not the biggest drake fan i, I liked more life. Well, listen to our more life discussion for more or better yet our views discussion yeah, views views is a better one I, I liked more life more than views and i think i liked more life more than views because i felt like he was taking some more risks and intentionally trying some more things i mean more life incorporated grime incorporated dance hall just like afro beats yeah, just a more worldly pop sound and i i appreciate him taking those chances and i know he was doing some of that on views but it was a different level on more life this album i was underwhelmed for the most part and i want to get into a discussion about why after we kind of go through the songs but this is not a bad album. This is a good rap album. I think my expectations for Drake and just his star in general, I mean, he's probably the number one, number two biggest pop star in the world, depending on, I guess, how you put like him and Bieber, right? In terms of sales, he's below Taylor Swift, yeah, but you know, Swift, he's right, right there. But her know? star has fallen off dramatically the last couple of years too, I feel like. It's true, but reputation also went over a billion right. first week. She still has such a baked in fan base, but Drake's not that far behind. He's continue to get bigger and bigger so i think my expectations for drake are just really high and though this album it didn't hit i guess what i'm looking for from him and we'll talk about that in a little bit i still think this was good and i think you thought this was good too but i'm wondering for you dave side a or side b which one do you ride for good question so i going in once we heard it kind of explained this side a is your rap album side b is your r&b album and a lot of people were like, oh, finally, Drake's going to separate the two and give us what we wanted. Yeah. And like, you know, there's people I usually like Drake when he raps more. I'm not like a big fan of just hold on, we're going home type of Drake. A lot of people, especially the ladies, they really like r Drake and it's a proven commodity. Like songs like uh, Take Care of Rihanna, you know, those they're hits for a reason. But then listening to this, I was like, I like Saturday. There's some songs I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to. There's some really good bars on here. We'll get to some of those songs. Mm-hmm in a second and then side b pops i'm like oh fuck <laughs> side b vibing out to this you like i've been going back to side <laughs> b more so far it seems like you really like this album a lot i did i think the best way to explain this is that similar to more life honestly now i, I mean more life commercial mixtape really called it a playlist but he didn't do any videos or any singles so that's the way he explained that but i guess that makes sense he just kind of put the songs out and let them be and then here we have there's actually three singles to this but it's similar to more life in that just a collection of Drake songs. There's Drake stuff on here. Drake does a lot, has a lot of different types of songs he makes. Here they are. He's not reinventing himself. He's not really doing anything different. Scorpion is not going to change the opinion of any Drake fan one way or the other, or any Drake hater one way or the other. It's just more of what he's doing for good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense, it's kind of like New Age Kanye, where Life of Pablo and Ye, he kind of stopped innovating right you know and just kind of started making stuff that's kind of iterative on what he's done and i think that kind of applies to what we have here while i think these are this is better than yay obviously it's interesting thought where he's almost resting on his laurels and just making really good drake songs without making a new kind of drake song i guess i think about this this record and there's not many songs that sound like anything new i'm trying to try to rack my brain to see if there's any but i i agree i I just find it interesting that, you know, he, so he obviously had songs on this album done way before everything happened with Pusher, although I think there's definitely things he added in after that whole thing. You know, For a sure. lot of the content regarding his son and things like that, I would imagine, were probably added on afterwards um, and some of the, the lyrics as well. But it almost feels like Drake, like, took this out and then he's like, all right, I'm just going to play this one safe and I'm just going to drop by. I know people are going to like, I know my fans are going to stand for this. And I mean, I'm sure he probably wasn't thinking that prior to that, but this almost feels like, all right, I'm just going to do what I know I can be successful at. I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not sure if that's how I, that's not how I view it. I think he made a conscious decision to not have a back and forth with Pusha T for whatever reason, whether Jay Prince was really the reason for that or not, whatever. But I think thinking like, all right, let me wait. My album's already coming. And 
my response is that I have Jay Z and Michael Jackson on this album, <laughs> and then <laughs> you listen to like Survival, which I think is a great one of Drake's best intro tracks mm-hmm. he's ever made. And I thought the, I thought like you know the little um, there's a, there's a bunch of little subliminals throughout that like the crown is broken in pieces, but there's more in my possession, and then. After this summer, man, how is that even a question? I've had really, real, real Philly n words try to write my endings. I've had scuffles with bad boys that wasn't pretending, so bringing up Meek and Diddy, mm-hmm. and then he's kind of like downplaying the push of beef, saying it wasn't like a real beef. He, had, he actually had like real problems with Meek Mill and Diddy, and that's not what he has with Pusha. So that's an interesting way to play it. And then, I mean, he addresses his son multiple times on on the album, and I think in actually a pretty uh, tactful way. But d- um, doesn't so it just sound I, like? I, sorry, not to cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, it just sounds like what he's saying is, uh, yeah, this the the beef I lost. I, I didn't have any real problems. That wasn't a real one. But the ones I won, those were real. It's like it's like every kid that like strikes out in little league and is like, well, that pitcher wasn't was was way better than the other pitcher. So it's like, well, and I, I and again, I I think that kind of goes back to W freestyle where he was like. I popped off for 30 hours and let him repeat. Why are you calling me out for writing my songs when I was just helping you and Kanye write songs last month? You know, mm-hmm. like Drake really never had any beef and then Pusha got mad personal and then Drake decided to, to not go back on that. So it's interesting, like what his perspective may be on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really know, but I don't think he totally ignored it on this. But yeah, there's no like scathing, like I'm going to put Pusha in the dirt song. No, right. Uh, so I cut you off before, but I think you were kind of just saying, uh, talking about how, like, Drake's perspective on this album, you know, it was basically like, I don't have anything to really prove to anybody. Uh, I'm just gonna, mm-hmm. you know, drop what I think is good, and people can deal with it. And he kind of, he kind of alludes to that, you know, he wrote some editor's notes on this album. I'm just gonna read it here. Yeah, I hate when Drake. I love the editor's yeah, notes. Yeah, I hate when Drake raps. Drake sings too much. Drake is a pop artist. Drake doesn't even write his own songs. Drake took an L. Drake didn't start from the bottom. Drake is finished. I like Drake's older stuff. Drake makes music for girls. Drake make make. Uh, Drake thinks he's Jamaican. Drake is an actor. Drake changed. Anybody else is greater than Drake. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. AKA, I miss the old Kanye straight from the soul Kanye. Yeah. It's the same thing. Basically, I mean, it. He, he's nothing else if not self-aware. Um, but for sure, I, I think it also speaks to probably why I I've been so underwhelmed with Drake just as an artist. Is I, I feel like you know, it's obvious that Kanye was a huge influence to Drake. I mean, even some of the songs on this album, the way he used the samples to create sounds and mm-hmm. to create, uh, you know, his his, his I don't know, awesome songs. I mean, I think about uh like Mariah Carey's feature, um. Yeah, this might mean like you said, Michael fucking Jackson, like sample. Yes, yeah, that's a Kanye ass move to clear MJ yeah, sample. Exactly, and like only he has this type of clout. But when I think about Kanye, I think about someone that literally like influenced the way rap music sounded and influenced the way that people did. It. I don't know if Drake has that same influence. I think I almost feel like mm-hmm. unless he does something like that, I see him as disappointing because I see him on that level, or I at least people tell me he's on mm-hmm. that level, which. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that. Look everywhere. There's how many guys rap and sing now. Drake made that okay, but you, you know that used to be a negative. You, so you think before Kanye, people didn't rap and sing, or before Drake, people didn't rap well, and sing? Well, I mean, we can just look at the rappers that came out. There weren't a lot of them. Uh, I think, I think Drake, Drake's impact on making uh, crossover rap mainstream is much bigger because uh, he did it all the time. Kanye only did it sometimes. Um, you know, and then you have guys like Twenty One Savage just last week saying how uh, Drake puts rung rappers on every year. He helped it help me out, and it's like, I mean, everyone respects what he does for the game all the time. It's just I think it's just funny that like, you know, it's cool to to hate on Drake because he's popular, but like people kind of forget the influence. Like DJ Booth actually on Twitter had an exchange where it's like DJ Booth gave Kendrick uh, Drake gave Kendrick Lamar one of his his biggest look yet in 2011 when he took him on tour. Ditto for ASAP Rocky and J. Cole. Like, Drake's been influencing the game, putting people on for a long ass time. It's just people kind of like forget, you know? And again, because we've taken him for granted for so long because he's just been so uh, untouchable and, you know, making safe music. But isn't that like kind of what Kanye didn't do was make safe music? Like, uh, I guess my. No, it's true. Right. My, it's true, but he, he, he like took the, he took like the, t- the mantle from, from Kanye. Definitely. Kanye's last 
influential record was. I mean, Yeezus was a choice. I don't know how influential Yeezus was, but you know, we'll say Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then that's right when Drake started getting really big. So Drake just kind of picked up where Kanye left off. Right. Yeah, I think I just, I think I just want him to not be safe, and that's why I really appreciated more life and and i can look back and appreciate some of the things he did on views and this just feels like a safe option um but mm-hmm. like i said even with that he still makes songs that are better than pretty much anybody else out there like his safe yeah. options are still mm-hmm. incredible um his, his ear for melody uh, obviously the stable of producers he houses i mean boy wonder and 40 obviously mm-hmm. you know expect on this but i mean even you have like dj paul on here with a cool nwa sample mm-hmm. and obviously dj Premier coming in on Sandra's Rose, one of my favorite songs on side A. And that's cool. But that's a cool song because that's not a primo beat that sounds like a million and one questions by Jay-Z. That's not like a 90s area primo beat. It's like a, it's a song that doesn't quite sound like DJ Premier, but then Drake made it his own. So I think that's a really, really cool collab, and it's a long time coming, honestly. I think, you know, I, I'm thinking about what really stood out to me in this album. I mean, obviously, um, there are just some awesome moments awesome song sandra's rose like you said non-stop i feel like his flow in that is just like incredible and i think he that's one of the things he does really well is he switches mm-hmm. up his flow from song to song really yeah well oh yeah i was starting well, i was taking notes non-stop the second yep. song the first non-intro song i was like it, when, as soon as take Keith comes up i'm like oh here's his block boy jb mm-hmm. chameleon song yep. sure enough that's exactly what he made <laughs> and he does it really well that's that that's straight yep. for you yeah and i i think I think that's the thing is he he has so many tools to make a song sound good or, or you know give it a certain feeling. I don't know if his like kind of like you said the singing side of it really hit as well with me, but I think that's also just it's a long album. By the time I got to that part, I was pretty just like tired of listening to the album. Um, I mean, obviously, nice for what is a freaking banger and will probably be one of the best songs of the year. What what other songs stood out to you on this? Uh, so, well, yeah, well, I think there's a really good run at the end of Side B. That's how you feel. Then Blue Tint, I really like Drake's performance on that. I thought that's a nice future collab. He hasn't had one of those since uh, that Lucy in 2016. Then In My Feelings, probably my favorite song, just because of the vibe on that. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Michael Jackson joint. Then you have, right after that, After Dark, Ty Dolla Sign. What a month he's had oh, as dude, a guest. A heater. And then Static Major. Everyone's saying R.I.P.X. R.I.P. Static Major. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that I fucking love that. Sample. After Dark is that, great. Yeah. Um, so that that whole run at Side B is what I've been really going back to the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but even a song on Side A, like Mob Ties, I was like, oh, here's 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 Drake doing a little dabbling with Thugger. And right. it's like, you know, it, again, it's not that Drake hasn't done anything new on this in terms of the types of songs he makes, nor has his has any lyrical content advanced. Um, but he's doing what he's always done and he's doing a lot of it really well obviously there's going to be clunkers and duds but that's a long album that's not an exclusively drake problem you know that's just long albums in general double albums are near impossible to make and make great you know um and my my actually interesting point i heard about this maybe he made it a double album because now that helped him get out of his cash money deal Uh, so he's off young money he's off cash money with this and whether that was because Scorpion was going to count as two records because of the length, we don't know. But either way, he's um, you know, he's off, he's off the majors, and I mean, like Drake hasn't needed a label for fucking what six years at this point, like. So that's an interesting note to that. But um, well, I think the double was there any other songs that really stood out to you? Uh, I th- I think we talked about most of them. I mean, I, I, I just keep going back to "Don't Matter to Me" just because like hearing like a, a Michael Jackson sample that no one's ever heard before is just fucking incredible in 2018 just like an unbelievable moment and like you said to be like oh yeah uh, i'm not going to respond to push it but i'm going to drop an album that has jay-z and michael jackson like like right. it's just crazy um i guess there's there's one critique i really wanted to like just shoot down that i've seen a lot of people talking about like drake just is talking about the same old stuff on this you know uh mm-hmm. very braggadocious that he's you know can't trust anybody you know uh just talking about how many beautiful girls and how hard it is to trust people because that honestly like we we give a lot of people a pass for talking about the same stuff all the time the same yeah. content album so i don't i'm not gonna knock drake for this what does push a t talk about again <laughs> yeah exactly so <laughs> there is all the people that, that critique him for that i think can take a lap um 
and I also with the the double album, I think that also was probably like streaming numbers. You know, like he he's yeah, he's a smart, sure. savvy businessman. He knows put put out as many songs as possible, get those numbers up, and right. he's been killing it with the numbers, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, to that point, I think again, like a Ray Shremmerd, if you make a really long album for streams, if you can like quote justify it by, in this case, a side A and a side B having two distinct distinct feels, I feel like you can pull it off. Right. I'm okay with anything that's not culture too. Just here's fucking everything mm-hmm. you know it's all the same thing <laughs> one through 25 right yep <laughs> definitely but i mean to those numbers to your point i mean not what four months ago in april beer bongs and bentley's came out of post malone uh his second album that we were not big fans that we're not post malone people here <laughs> but um he's really popular can't deny that mm-hmm. and he i did set the single day uh streaming record uh with spotify and apple music and his spotify mark was 78.7 million streams on the first day which is absurd and then he follow, uh, Drake follows this up on Spotify with 132 million streams of Scorpion in the first day and 170 million on Apple Music. Crazy. And then, I mean, just for context, Apple Music, more life a year ago, was 89 million. So he's <laughs> fucking nearly doubled it in one year. It's crazy considering how big an artist he already is. And um, Well, obviously, technically goes platinum as soon as it releases because God's plan is eight times platinum. Nice for what's three times. Right. First week sales, which doesn't count that, um, he's looking at it's projected right now to be eight hundred seventy to nine hundred twenty thousand units first week, with almost three hundred thousand as traditional you know unit sales. So obviously streaming streams are helping him, but he's still pushing big numbers and ridiculous. Um, More life, for example, for context was you know five hundred thousand. So uh, insane footprint that he has. I mean, I think Fantano had a funny tweet where he was like, what the fuck? Where it was like, it was a Spotify screenshot of like the landing page. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was every single type of playlist had Drake on it. <laughs> it was even like, like, uh, t- like new wave gospel had like Drake. Like I was <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, so Which is funny. Cause he's like an Apple guy too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but people just want more Drake, man. It's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. One, qu- what, one last Go thing ahead. I want to say is to your point about the lyrical content, Drake, you know, more or less doing the same thing. And I agree with what you're saying. Because he now has the child uh, out in the mm. open, of course. I think that he, the, uh, you know, like the broy, um, insecure, almost immature lines about women might not go over as well now. <laughs> oh, you think? Now that he has a kid. Like, even for example, like, I'm, 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 I'm upset. Mm. Uh, can't go 50 50 with no hoe. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, you got to go 50 50 with a hoe now. <laughs> yeah, <dude>. you do. <laughs> the mom. Yes. And and did you see that like she could not even wait till the weekend was over to post that like she's Drake's baby oh. mama on Instagram? Uh good for her. I, you know? She was waiting for that clout, man. It just Now did you hear the thing? I don't know if this is confirmed, but the tweet was blowing up. Uh, apparently Drake's kids Adonis is the first name, mm-hmm. but the middle name is Mabed. Uh, I heard, yeah. I saw which is apparently Romanian for chosen one. I only and then everyone's bed. like God's plan. Mama, I'm sorry. Yep. Does love his kid. <laughs> chestnut checkers bro i mean it, it, <laughs> or the other one the other one i said was uh drake just had to let pusha t kill him so he could go to heaven and ask michael jackson for a feature <laughs> yeah I, I saw all these if if drake's long game was i'm gonna start this feud with pusher who will then expose me for having a start, secret though. child and then i will have <laughs> already had a lyric talk about how much i love my child somewhere in there that's like yeah, some that's next true. level strategy so i, I don't know but Either way, Scorpion, <laughs> definitely worth a listen. I think we'll be talking about it a lot as the year goes on and re-listening to it. And we'll have plenty of, of those songs, probably one or two, maybe even three of them on our Spotify playlist, uh, Nostalgia Best of 2018. 2018. Linked at SoundCloud, easy to find, and linked at YouTube as well. So check it out. All right, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Fano Soldado. Did you like Sicario 2015? Fuck yeah. yeah. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Denny Villeneuve, Roger Deakins. Yeah. Three Oscar noms, Emily fucking Blunt. Hell yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya, dude. Like, yeah, no one knew who he was yet. He was still Black Mirror guy. He was still great. Like, it was fantastic. And John Bernthal, love him as well. I mean, it's funny because when I think about Sicario now, I mean, there's so many scenes from it. I think about it. Actually, was on last night. So after I I saw it, I came home and I was watching the first one. I was like, man, this movie. There's just Scene after scene that really sucks you in. Mm-hmm. For the Ringers rewatchables, I hope 10, 15 years they're doing the Sicario rewatchable. What really stood out to you in terms of those scenes from the first well, one? Well, obviously, Deacon's 
cinematography is just unbelievable sure. like you think about like the the colors of the sky just the the way it's shot and, and framed mm-hmm. um i mean the story is thrilling and it's like it goes from being uh, very tense to actually like scary at points like uh when emily blunt is, is hooking up with that guy and she like starts to figure out like he's connected to the the drug cartels yeah and the burnt off yeah, scene that whole yeah that's scene just crazy it's unbelievable um and then um the other scene i think i think the best scene in the movie is that uh that border checkpoint shootout yep. crazy which is kind of mimicked in the sequel but i mean that i think that that's really like where like denny like really can shoot shoot action yep. like it really stands out the way he, he um his camera works um but yeah, overall the first one it's a it's a movie that actually did pretty well it made 84.8 million worldwide mm-hmm. um uh 30 million dollar production budget and that's off a like a 12 million dollar opening weekend it was a really really leggy release and you know a slow slow rollout so pretty successful overall mm-hmm. and then but i mean did you until we got news of sicario 2 with the original title I did, not even... did you ever expect a sequel for this no but, well i mean i guess it, it kind of was left open for a sequel in a way but i didn't really think that this would be a movie that ever get a sequel for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, the cast was was big, so to get everybody to come back was going to be hard. Emily Blunt, I think, was attached to this, uh, but then dropped out for several reasons. At least those are reports I heard. Uh, and that was almost two years ago that she supposedly right. backed out. So it was even before it got even into production. Um, the other reason I didn't think is because the the topic and just the... It's a hard one to, to touch. And especially, I think this is kind of something I wanted to talk about here is the the political uh, atmosphere around these mm. topics is so touchy right now and yep. it, it kind of influenced the way I, I watched the movie and felt about some of the scenes in the movie i think um and i'm wondering how how it affected you but we can save that until after we, we get into kind of talking more about the movie i'm guessing you didn't expect a sequel but are you happy that they made the sequel Honestly, I am. I, I, you know, like your point, I didn't think it. I mean, the first one's really about drugs. This new one's more about uh, the border, immigration, um, uh, you know, humanitarian crisis like that, whereas drugs is kind of a more, uh, I guess, tried and true theme right. for movies, I guess. But still, the way it was done, it's really like a hyper-realistic film. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it gets uh, a little action at the end, it's still, you know, it's, it's still self-serious. So the fact that we got a sequel, um, I mean, first of all, Denny Vella new movie getting a sequel would be the first one for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I did, I didn't didn't expect it at all, and I was actually very skeptical because uh, I was like, you, it sounds everyone's like, oh, it's a cash grab. They're just doing this for money. I'm like, well, yeah, sure. They're they're keeping the IP. They could very well make this movie with different characters, and it, it could not be a sequel at all. It barely connects. It's just that Josh Brolin and uh, Benicio, you already know who they are. That's really the only connection. Right. But um, it's not really a cash grab because the first one didn't make a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not gonna be a blockbuster, and it wasn't. It Sicario Two made nineteen million uh, for third place, which is quite good given it's still thirty five million dollar budget. So definitely, it's not like the cash grab. But just it was weird that they decided to make a sequel. But then you realize Taylor Sheridan's back, mm-hmm. and he wrote the first one. He wrote Hell or Her High Water, and then he wrote and directed Wind River, and I think he's four for four in terms of his like contemporary like Western films. And I am, um, well, I, I get what you're saying, and we'll get into that about like the contemporary uh, environment that you watch Sicario Two in. I still think the movie really works. Yeah, I thought the movie was good. Um, I, I didn't think it was as good as Sicario, uh, which is it's a, it's hard with a sequel, and I think. Not having Blunt to really carry the emotional weight to the film hurt. I think they put a lot of the emotional lifting on the shoulders of uh, Isabella, the little girl in this. Right. And it's a, yeah. it's a tough ask of a, a what, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, maybe even 16. Yeah. I mean, Blunt was the audience avatar. Exactly. The, the, you know, the, the, good, the good in the film. There's not a lot of good in Sicario 2. It's very grim watch, uh, self-serious, and uh isabella you know well i think they do some good good stuff with her point of view mm-hmm. um overall it's uh you know it, it's it's a dark film and it's uh i think that's if, if anything's missing from the second one it's probably that because it's not like the first one had like a much of a message it's just kind of like like are you gonna can you work with the wolves without becoming one 
And then the second one is just, here are the wolves. They're going to do do some more shit, you know? Yeah, and I think, if anything, it, it tried to humanize Alejandro, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Benicio Del Toro's character. Um, and I thought he was great. I mean, he plays that role sure. so perfectly. It kind of actually reminds me, when I think about a comparative movie or a contemporary movie, that's, it's comparative. Um, John Wick, <laughs> I think of, yeah. actually, just because no, it's it, a superhero sure. type character who just going to come in and fuck shit up, but has this very like cool demeanor all the time and in control. Motivated to become a bad guy by personal tragedy. What <laughs> one lost his family, one lost his dog. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. very comparative. Um but yeah, it's so in thinking about the movie and it starts off I'm going to get into some spoilers so for some reason you're still listening, you haven't seen it back out. Um I mean, it, that that first 10 minutes is a tough tough way to start the movie. It, yeah. It I mean, you, you see a person blow themselves up at the border when they get chased down by border patrol and then you see uh these four guys walk into a pharmacy i believe it is and supermarket, supermarket in like kansas city or something and yeah they blow themselves up and it's highlighted by this mother trying to get her daughter out the door and the guy literally yeah. blows himself up right next to them like doesn't pan away no it's it's brutal to watch um, and shocking. I mean, it's, and I think it sets the tone for the movie that this movie is going to be shocking. I mean, uh, another scene that shocked me is when they shot Benicio del Toro Alejandro in the face. I was like, yeah, uh, he's going to find somebody else. I thought Josh Brolin was going to come over the corner in a helicopter or something. Nope. It's, uh, just shot in the mouth. Like this movie didn't, didn't pull any punches, which I appreciate, but at the same time kind of left me feeling like Isabella by the end, which probably was the intent was that this, this right. shit is serious. This this is painful. This is hard to to live, to deal with, to see, um, and something needs to happen. Uh, and these things are happening. It's just man. Um, there was a lot I liked about it, though. I feel like I'm I'm being too down on it. What was your favorite parts? Like, let's highlight some of the good about this movie. Uh, I so I think I think the one of the first standout scenes for me was when they first go into Mexico on that caravan, the convoy, and then the. Uh, the police like turn on them, they get ambushed on the dirt road. Mm-hmm. And that whole most of that scene is shot through Isabella's POV, so you're not seeing all of the action directly. And that's uh, I give uh, Stefano uh, Salima a lot of credit for that scene because that's very much um, mimicking the way Denny shot the border, the border scene. While I still think the border scene is better, uh, I thought this checkpoint ambush was still very effective. Um, and then uh, even before that, uh, the kidnapping of Isabella. Uh, I really, I really, I really liked, and you know, I mean, to your point about, you know, you know, feeling like Isabella at the end, I think that's kind of like the kind of the crux of what critics are not liking with the film is that because it's so dark, because we're not grounded with an Emily Blunt character, and because Isabella isn't, I guess, really doing enough of that for the film, when Brolin doesn't save Benicio, and when Brolin and his team are kind of like. Well, I guess we didn't have to kill him. Sucks to suck. There he goes. Yeah. He's been disavowed. And it's like, you can't really feel anything because it's tough to feel anything for these characters because they're such immortal people, you know? And you're just kind of watching this, like, you know, dark and gritty tale happen. And, you know, the way I've been talking about it, a lot of people are comparing it to, uh, well, talk, you know, naturally as as you know makes a lot of sense comparing it to what's happening today with uh you know trump's mexico statements and whatnot and i mean the movie starts off with a uh border patrol catching people and then of course there's a human trafficker kid as like a a b plot and you know i guess you can't help the thing about how it relates to today but i'm kind of like you're not co-signing any policy by watching the film you know it's like and like I know the movie like skews very masculine in terms of the audience, and it's very like a machismo uh, movie that's kind of Sheridan's uh, vibe when he writes. But uh, the way I kept going away is, all right, well, retweets don't equal endorsements. You mm-hmm. can you can watch this movie even if you don't feel much from it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to to look at it. Um, I do worry about how this movie might be used politically um, to you know, sure. side one way or the other. But I guess that's probably for uh, the Pod Safe America people to talk about if they want to. Uh, we don't need yeah. to dive too deep into it. You know, it's it's interesting as you were talking. I was thinking about the juxtaposition of you know how they basically treat these people who are going across this border as like less than humans. You know, and and they talk about 
uh, well, you know, human trafficking is the biggest uh, epidemic or whatever going out the border because uh, it's something you don't need to cultivate. You know, it's it's a resource that's constantly there. Right. And just even the way that they were talking about it in that scene showed how dehumanized or how they, they treat Isabella. And then they talk about the people in that scene. It's very dehumanizing. You know, when when they confront Brolin, uh, I'm forgetting the girl's the actress's name. Um Sorry, I have it written down here. Catherine Keener, which shout out her two mm. excellent movies in a month with Incredibles as well. Um, yeah, but the way that she talks to him about the mission and what they need to do and how they need to just wipe the slate clean is like they they look at it the same exact way. And who's actually worse in this? Um, mm. It's a it's an interesting thing. It's it's thoughtful, and I think I think you can take away what you want to from this movie. You can either see it for like the gratuitous violence and just the the shocking moments, or you can see it for I think the commentary on the state of these affairs that it's probably meant to be um, and kind of take from it, you know, what do we want to do? How do we want to move forward with our, you know, our perspectives, but mm-hmm. were there any scenes other than the, the, the scene, the uh, shootout scene that really stood out to you or any, any moments, maybe any performances? I saw some critics calling it like contrived, but I really contrived way to uh, have some exposition about, uh, Alejandro, but I really liked it, the sign language scene. Yeah, um, really everything with Alejandro once he and Isabella were together, and like you know on their own, I thought was great. But the sign language scene, I I, I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I don't know, it's just Benicio. Even if like he's kind of like transcending what's on the the script for him, like what the character really is. But you know, I mean, whenever he was on screen and actually like you know having any dialogue i thought it really it was really great mm-hmm. um you know one scene that i thought uh, it, you speak about the the political angle um when brolin kind of like has like the torture thing mm-hmm. torture scene in the yeah. uh shipping container it's like oh the waterboarding no i'm not gonna do that you know i'm gonna do something way worse and i'm like they already kind of had a blowback to a torture scene from zero dark 30 a fucking fantastic film you know mm-hmm. so it's like do we need this we kind of already know who matt is right. as a person but at the same time i'm not going to say like i i don't think like the gratuitous violence or like going over the top is an issue at all i think if you want to have a real critique it's that maybe the movie doesn't have enough to say hmm. i think i think that'd be to justify all of that that stuff where's this rank in terms of the last three brolin performances uh you know obviously we had him in avengers and in deadpool probably at the bottom for uh me. this is probably my favorite movie of the three Favorite movie of the three. But shot up Brolin. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think I have his performance in this as the worst of his three, with probably Thanos being his best just because of he made a CGI a grimace. Yeah, a better character. Yeah, character Thanos, for sure. Somewhat sympathized with. Del Toro. So yeah, I wanted to ask two two things about him. One, he really cares about this this kid and is really working to, to save Isabella. At the end of Sicario, uh, the, the fir- first one, he ends up shooting that whole family. I mean... Does this make sense for his character mm-hmm. to go from killing this entire family at the end of one and then wanting to work so hard to save this child in this other one? It's a good point. Um, and that's kind of like an unnecessary problem right. for the movie due to it being a loose sequel. Um, I don't know. Maybe he just kind of saw the the innocence in her and that, you know, I guess he maybe he changed once he finally like had his revenge mission. Mm-hmm finish in season one and now he's just kind of like a merc that matt can call in for help right you know so that's an interesting point yeah something i was thinking about the other thing what did you think about him surviving that shot like being shot in the face thing i I was i was like first of all surprised that they even had him get shot and then second like Mm -hmm. he survived i was kind of like eh, i think maybe this should have just been it like that this is the end of this see i like i liked it because the way they they shot him was i thought very effective Mm -hmm. and then when they go back, there's just like that, like low camera's like low on the ground in that crater. And just looking at his body, it's a solid like ten or fifteen seconds before he moves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, they like really bring that home again. And then he lives. And then he has that. Cr- uh, he's in the car and he has that crash into like the street sign. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, now he died. And I was like, I, I thought the way they like had him like struggle to live mm-hmm. was really effective. So I thought it worked for me. Plus, he had that cool moment where he threw a grenade in that car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah, I, I think it worked. I think I'm just like, you know, this guy got shot in the face and supposedly just went through his cheek, which I get. It kind of looked like that when I first saw it. I was like, oh, I don't even think he's dead. Mm-hmm. But 
Also, I mean, like, it makes this guy out to be like Superman, kind of, and lost a lot of blood. Yeah, a lot of blood. But then he's just sitting there at the end, like, let's have a talk. You want to be a, you want to be a Sicario? Hey, yeah. looks at camera. There it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, actually, that was probably the weakest point to, for me in general was the whole plot with M- Miguel. Yeah. If anything was contrived, it was his connection to the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. But maybe he presented like the most potential in terms of humanizing it because he was like a what a high school kid who was falling in with the cartel like how'd you feel about him i felt like they didn't really explain enough why he was falling with the cartel you know because you see like his family and the people that surround him and other than his cousin no one else is really involved and i was kind of like i don't really get why you're doing this maybe it's money maybe it's wanting to be a part of something different i'm not really sure i mean i might have missed something there too maybe it was explained and i missed it but um yeah it didn't really work for me either uh i I thought it was kind of stupid how uh you know he sees him this one time and he recognizes him when he goes on the bus among all these people i was kind of like that doesn't seem like totally realistic but overall i mean it's a a small nitpick um for for a b plot i also thought when he jumped off the truck that he was gonna give it up but then you see him well tattoos you know a year later he's like no yeah he's in he's in um are we gonna get sicario 3 yeah i think so yeah if they, if they didn't want to make Sicario 3, they would have kept Alejandro dead. Uh, so. Do you want Sicario 3? I'm not opposed to it if Sheridan's involved. Mm-hmm. I think this is a pretty pretty good sequel by all accounts. And yeah, maybe they'll they'll hear or they'll see people's notes on it and they'll adapt to that. Or, you know, if they don't have to make one. I'm value neutral on Sicario 3. Yeah, I, I, I think give it a couple of years and I'm sure it will probably be another two or three before we see it. So we'll, we'll see how I feel then. But that, that's it for this week. As Dave mentioned in past podcasts, we have a lot coming up. It's next week we have Sorry to Bother You, Ant-Man, Sire from Jaden Smith. Glow Season 2. Talking Secession at some point. Any other shows we got to catch up on? I mean, Killing Eve, we'll get to when we get to it at this point. The Emmy nominations come out soon. We'll talk about that. Talk about that. So a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Anything you want us to talk about, tweet at the pod, at Nostalgia Pod. Uh, subscribe somewhere down below. We appreciate all your support. Share with friends, family. Dave, what, what's your last word for the week? Saldado! <laughs> Peace out.